0: I've known Pastor Peter for a number of years now. I think you've been at Christ Community, what, seven years now? Uh, P- Pastor Peter and Deb have been at Christ Community Fellowship in Ashland, Ohio, for about seven years. Actually, I grew up about 20 minutes away from uh, the church that they're, they're at now. I think we met at Stay Sharp, our theology conference, and then we've uh, seen each other around the district at various times. Um, But what I love about Pastor Peter and Deb is how they love young people, including the young people of our church. Uh, Do you remember a few years ago when we didn't have 13 going to Challenge, we had three and we had no adults going? Uh, Lucas and Michaela and her friend Elizabeth um, were going, who they called Muffin, I believe. We only knew her name as Muffin for a while. They wanted to go to New Orleans to Challenge and we didn't have any leaders to go, And they wanted to go, and Pastor Peter and Deb said, we'll take them. So uh, they got in our car, and we drove them to Ohio, and we handed them off to these folks, and then they took them to the challenge conference and got to know them. And not only did they get to know them and shepherd them through that, but then when Lucas and Michaela were in the high school play, they came all the way out here, stayed with Blair and Ruth, and went to the high school play just to love on uh, our students. Last year, when we went to Challenge, uh, last time, it was all about Living Scent, what he just sang about, and I think what he's going to preach on in just a second. I don't want to steal your thunder. Well, yes, I do. I'm going to steal it. Uh, uh, reconnected with uh, Pastor Peter and Michaela, and you remember she was starting to say, well, does, does God have a future for me in ministry, a future maybe in missions? Well, Peter and Deb have, have gotten involved in a ministry called Apex, whose whole job is to connect up students with missions. okay? And I think he's going to talk about that in a second. And I thought, I don't know anybody better to be able to do that. So I've asked Peter to talk about what the Lord has been doing in his life and this this move that he's going from pastoral ministry into missions that is moving young people into missions. So let's pray for Pastor Peter as he comes to share. Father, thank you for Peter and Deb. And I pray, Father, for blessing on Peter as he... As He opens the Word to us today, I pray that we would have ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to the churches. And I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, good morning to you all. It is uh, good to be here. I'm going to go ahead and have them bring up the first slide and then I'll play along from there if we're coming together. So, uh, as you know, uh, Matt has said that we're, uh, I'm flying solo today, uh, though I spent uh, 23 years in the Navy on a ship, so I don't actually fly, but the idea is, uh, is uh, still the, uh, the same. Um, we uh, are, are moving into missions, uh, so introducing myself just real quickly again. My name is Peter Boers. my wife Deb, unfortunately, is uh, not feeling well. Uh, and so she is at home uh, trying to recover uh, Those of you that understand that working in a school Sometimes just allows you to continue to grab all the other stuff that's going on in the school And uh, so she's definitely uh, uh, received more than she would like to have And uh, so please be continuing to pray with, uh, for her And I appreciate your prayers for her So um, just be gentle with me when I say we uh, Let's just assume my wife is with me and those of you that understand the idea of being married, they're always with you. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't truly be one flesh. Uh, so we, uh, we have that. So when I say, we are excited and feel blessed to be here, yes, we do. Uh, so this is my wife, uh, and we're, we are uh, grateful for this opportunity uh, to, to be able to share with you. We actually met in the Navy. My wife served in the Navy as well for 16 years as an electrician. Um, and then I served in the Navy for 23 years and retired uh, as a data systems electronics technician. And uh, so we've uh, been uh, around the block, so to speak. Uh, but uh, we're, we're grateful now to see what God is doing with us uh, here in this time. God did not actually bring us together as a couple to, to live together as married couple until well after we had met in the Navy. So we never served together. We never were on the same ship together. Those of you that know anything about the military and fraternization, that never existed with us. I'm just going to lay that out there for you, okay? So um, this is our uh, lovely family. Uh, we are, there it is, we are a blended family. Um, I, I will uh, tell you that right off the bat. We have four grown daughters uh, and uh, two son-in-laws, one of which was not able to meet uh, with us this last time we got together And those are our wonderful grandchildren, Uh, Scout, which is standing in front of Deb. She is now, she's going to be seven. I don't even know what to do with that. She's going to be seven years old, uh, and her brother is uh, just behind her. That's Damien. He is four, and Nolan is three. Uh, So we're excited to have grandkids. They uh, definitely keep us on our toes. Um, and so we're, we're, we're grateful for that. After I retired from the Navy, we actually moved to Ashland. I attended Ashland Theological Seminary. And uh, when we uh, attended uh, or uh, went there, uh, we were able to uh, graduate from there, both of us. Deb got the bug, okay? We, I went to Ashland, and then a little bit later she was like, I, I want my master's degree too. And, and so she uh, got her master's degree in counseling, and I got my master's degree in, in master's of divinity. And uh, So that uh, was was several years ago and seven years at Christ Community. Our hearts are are very much um, with youth and with family uh, as we've been serving now as family pastors uh, at Christ Community. We're excited to see what God is doing by sending us into the mission field. But before I get into all the the details of uh, of what that looks like, um, I want to actually place some uh, importance on God's Word, and so I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 15, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, Um, and I'm going to encourage you, it is in my nature to do this, that as I share the Word of God today, I'd encourage you when we're done reading the Bible, when we're done reading the Word, if you would keep your Bible open. I am going to refer back to it on numerous occasions. I see on the back of your bulletin you have an area where you can write notes down. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to do that. And so uh, follow along with me as I read Romans 10, verses 9 through 15. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that, ...that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth... ...that you profess your faith... ...and are saved. As Scripture says... ...anyone who believes in Him... ...will never be put to shame. For there is no difference... ...between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all... ...and richly blesses... ...all who call on His name. For everyone... Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good News. Let me pray for us as we look to God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word, which is everlasting, which is eternal, and it comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. Lord, I pray that as we have heard your Word and as we study and wrestle and and, and understand it more, that you would give us the wisdom we need to understand it and the ability to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that as we listen to you today, as you, you teach us, Holy Spirit, that we would hear you clearly. I pray that our hearts would be aligned. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our God, who is our rock. And our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I read once a person say there are all sorts of feet. Okay? There are large feet, small feet. Some people have really kind of pudgy feet. Uh, Some people have very big feet. Some people would say that even their feet look a little bit like... uh, The feet in Lord of the Rings, because they're kind of hobbitish, if you would, for those of you that follow the Lord of the Rings or may have watched that movie, I want you to realize something. Do you understand what feet are for? Do you understand what they do? I would even challenge you right now. Would you stop for just a minute and look at your feet? I'm giving you permission to look down from me and from your bibles. Look at your feet. Do you like your feet? Wow. You didn't know you were coming today to have a conversation about feet, did you? Um Honestly, for a moment, would you take a moment and think, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your feet? 1 being ugly, 10 being beautiful. Would, would you give it a 10? Most people probably would not say their feet are a 10. And if they did, well, then they probably should be one of those foot models, you know, that model like sandals and stuff like that. Because they probably have really nice feet that people want to look at. Others of us, there's a reason why we wear shoes, okay? It's possible for all of us to have beautiful feet, at least in God's eyes. God is interested in our feet, but he's not concerned about what they look like. Matter of fact... What he really is concerned about is where they go, what they do, and the good news they carry. And so here's the thing. We've come to share with you a little bit about Paul's letter that he writes to the Romans and to the church in Rome. And how this passage is very important to what we do, but has also become sort of an active calling in our very lives of going Onto the mission field. So let's dig for a little bit and think about the letter to Rome that Paul writes. It's important that we not just read Scripture for the sake of reading it, but understand a little bit about where it comes from. The church in Rome was receiving this letter from Paul. Paul's letter to the Christian community in Rome is one of the most important theological documents ever written, according to biblical scholars. Matter of fact, folks like Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Wesley, which we consider staunch, strong people in the faith, good theologians, they really used this as a means of which to to base much of what they said and wrote. But we don't want to get carried away with this. This is still a letter. Okay? Think about that for a minute. This isn't a systematic theology book. You don't just pull out the book of Romans and go, okay, let's see how we're supposed to do all this. So we have to read and understand this in context. Here's the important thing. We learn in Romans, if you look at it, that there was some interesting things that happened. First, the founders of the Roman church, they're Jewish Christians. But later, Rome kicks them out. They get rid of of the Jews. They don't want them there. And so the consistency of the church in Rome actually only exists because the Gentiles consider to and continue to make sure it moves forward. The thing is is the Jews don't stay out of Rome. They return. And when they eventually return, this creates a conflict in those Roman house churches. They're consistently And completely uh, Gentile for many years. And now they face conflict with Jewish Christians who have different cultural ways. Uh, Let me just stop for a minute and ask you. Are we even today understanding the cultural differences we have in the way we worship? In the way that we, we interact? How incredible is it for those of you that went to conference? Or those even you now that heard that other denominations are considering Parting with the the free church. And yet we are not the end-all, be-all of denominations. But rather, would we rather not just say we're part of the body of Christ. We are part of the universal church around the world that believes Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if we are that church that believes in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then here's the important thing to understand. When we have difficulties and strifes of cultural and, and, and struggles and what that looks like and how we do that, we need to understand and be able to build in reconciliation with one another. Because otherwise we can find ourselves, like the Romans did, the, Roman, the church in Rome did, fighting, bickering. Paul's letter to Romans summons Christians to ethnic, cultural, tribal reconciliation with one another and reminds them that they all came to God in the same way, through Christ alone. And so if that's the case, then what we see here is that the Roman Christians needed was a call to radical reconciliation with one another. A cross-cultural sensitivity that even we today can say, yeah, we all need that. So let me go back, look at your Bibles again, we're in Romans 10, I I read 9-15, through I want you to take a moment to to step back a little bit, and I'm going to use some of what uh, honestly I would call just my own understanding of of, of studying scripture, that I can't just lift scripture out, I need to know, I'm starting to understand context. So we're going to go back to 1, chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to look again at that chapter, and we're going to see that Paul is about to remind the Israelites that they need the gospel as much as the Gentiles do. Here we are in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify, testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is based on knowledge. And since they do not know the righteousness of of God and sought to establish their own, well then they do not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law and so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So there we are, first four verses. Now I want you to just Keep that in your mind, the righteousness of God. Because everything we're going to talk about later as we look through 9 through 15 is going to refer back to understanding what that is going to be about, that righteousness of God and how that fits in. So let's look at 9. As we jump to 9, we see it read as this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And also then, verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. How many of you have shared the gospel with somebody at any point in time in your lifetime? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Some of you may have used what what some people like to call the Roman road. Are you familiar with that? What verse did I just read that is in the Roman road? 9 and 10, okay? Let's look a little bit at that. When we study this passage, we learn and understand that God, we recognize that God is the one that's already done the work, okay? And secondly, that the gospel is for everybody, not just for the Jews. So let me stop there for a minute. Why in the world does Paul declare we have to profess it with our mouth And believe it in our heart. Why why is that necessary? You've all, I'm sure at some point in time, heard this statement before. I'm going to let you tell me if I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this. Or maybe if I'm doing a whole lot of this, and I'm not, what am I not doing? I'm not walking the walk, am I? I can talk a whole lot of stuff. And not live my life the way that my talk is. And in the same way, I would dare challenge us. We can't just walk the walk and then suddenly not talk about it. And so there is a key part of this that I want you to catch. Why does Paul declare both mouth and heart? Well, here's the thing. The Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, writes this. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart that you may observe it. And so the mention of both mouth and heart in Deuteronomy 30 is what leads Paul to develop these two parts in verse 9 and 10. Without placing too much emphasis, though, on oral confession, because then we get back into what? A lot of talk and a whole lot of no walk. And so with that in mind, believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord is what Paul really wants to emphasize and highlight. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Okay, and so that, we, we see that. And, and later, we even actually see Jesus talk that, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before the Father in heaven. Matter of fact, he also says that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Do you realize where that comes from? That all who believe may have eternal life? It's John three fifteen. How often are we in a rush to get to 16? And miss some of the richness of the other verses that surround that beautiful passage that tells us about the sacrifice the father made by giving his only begotten son. Let me move on. Let's look at 11 and 12. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever asked yourself when you've read scripture and you read particularly because Paul likes to do this and, and Matthew is wonderful about this, Ma- Matthew often you know will share something in, in his gospel and then say for it is written. And then and then and then there, that he lifts scripture from the Old Testament. And now here Paul is doing it again. And so then we have to almost ask ourselves as scripture says, where does it say it? Give me some, under, just, I, I don't want just somebody telling me, show me. And so what we see there is that Paul is actually referring to verse 11 from the prophet Isaiah. Now, verse 11 is, excuse me, is a reference to Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. One biblical scholar writes that God responds with the gift of providing righteousness to each individual who believes. And then Paul later reminds his readers that God is impartial in this. He did not do this just for the Jews. But he actually, earlier in the the letter, he tells of the human sinfulness that everyone has. Just as all who sinned will be judged, so all that believe will be saved and richly blessed. The conclusion of this in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, is actually found in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. To call in the name of the Lord means to pray in faith for salvation. Let's stop. Please look at me for a minute. I'm going to get very, very serious here. I don't know you directly. I've not pastored you. I've not walked with you. I know that every single one of us come to different stages in our life walking in faith or maybe still wrestling with where in the world we are. Let me challenge you for just a minute as you look at me and you hear these words. Perhaps you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've adopted a standard and joined the church. Or maybe you thought your baptism was going to get you into heaven. But Paul's letter to Ephesus tells us that it is for, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, but it is a gift of God so that no one may boast. It's not by our works. And so I want you to know why we are preaching God's invitation to you today. You can never be good enough for God. Ever. Period. It is not what you have done, but what he has done that bestows upon you the righteousness of God. Of God, And when you put your faith in him, he can forgive you of whatever you have done. So the invitation is open to you today. To be in faith and in Christ. To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the sinner, to the black, to the white, to the woman, to the man, to the child. It doesn't matter. Put your faith in him. He's the only way. For you to be reckoned as righteous in the Father's eyes. And that is the invitation of righteousness. Would you bow your heads right now? I'm going to ask you to consider Christ right now. If you don't know Christ, I'd ask that you would pray with me right now. Lord, you can just pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Lord, I recognize that it is you and you alone that provides me with righteousness and it is not anything I can do. Lord, forgive me for trying to make it to you by my own abilities. Forgive me of my sinfulness, Lord, because it is only you that provides forgiveness of sins. Help me, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would Receive me as your son or daughter. I believe in you, and I ask you to teach me and lead me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or you've sensed that God is working in you, I would encourage you to see your elders, see your pastor, make sure that you begin to not only just pray it and then go out thinking, I got this, this is good, thank you Jesus, because it's not just that moment but rather a continuous walk. You may be justified now in faith in Jesus Christ but God wants to take you beyond that and teach you more and we're going to see why. In just a minute. Because verse 14 and 15 gets us into a series of questions. So look back at your Bibles at 14 and 15. Paul writes these things How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? After proclaiming God's gracious offer in Christ, Paul starts to confront some natural questions. I I, I like Paul. I I hope you do too. I I appreciate the fact that he takes the time to ask the questions that I got wrestling in my own head that I want to ask. It's almost as if I get a chance to really, truly wrestle with Scripture and, and, and interact with it. There are some questions there that naturally arise. As we study the passage and refer back to the previous verses, well, it's revealed to us that God's promise of salvation is to everyone who calls on him, verse 13. And that then begins the process. That calling on the name of the Lord and believing in your heart suddenly means there's something to do next. How then can they call in the one they have not believed in? And so, previously, the call on the Lord was part of that process of trusting in Him or believing Him. But now we see that when one believes in Christ, it actually bubbles up. Out, I gotta say, so. I gotta call out and say, "This has happened to me. I've I've been changed by the blood of Christ." Believing, in turn, is based on hearing, and hearing is based on someone preaching. And how can they preach unless they are sent? Many years ago, I received a thumb drive. Some of you may or may not know what that looks like. It's about this big, small, and it came with headphones. And it said on the side of it, faith by hearing. And it was the word of God on a, on a, on a stick with headphones given out. So instead of giving out Bibles or, or, or little green testaments that all the sailors and soldiers would stick in their back pocket and you'd see a square in their back pocket because they had you know their wallet or whatever sitting in this was a thumb drive that they could listen to the word of God being said to them faith by hearing it's really cool. I still have it but I don't know that I'm carrying it around like I was back then. after proclaiming this and seeing this, And seeing this call happening, that believing in turn is based on hearing, hearing is based on someone preaching, and then how does that preaching happen unless they're sent? Let me tell you a a quick story here. I was recently in Washington, D.C. I had an opportunity to visit with David and Sean Borma, who are going to be uh, potential or will be our our future team leaders when we move to uh, the East Coast. When we were there, we visited the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. If you've never been there before, I would encourage you to go. But don't go there thinking you can spend about a couple hours. You'll see it all. Because if you've been to any museum in Washington, D.C., sometimes a day isn't enough. (laughs) So here's what I want you to catch. While I was there, I found myself on the fourth floor at a portion of the Bible history exhibit that left me astounded. Here's the picture I want to present to you. In this oval section, I stood and looked in this one area, and this was all these Bibles that were translated fully, start to finish all of it, in French, in German, in all languages that we, we know are actively used very regularly, Spanish, English, Chinese, Japanese, in this section. As I moved a little further, I saw more books, but they were only New Testament. It was not the whole Bible. Matter of fact, as I looked, there were probably over a thousand Bibles on the shelf for each language with the New Testament translation. What left me near to tears was the placeholders of books. Not a book, but like a box a book would be put in and put on the shelf, and it was in process for some language. There was no Bible for that language. But that wasn't it. Because there were more placeholders for known languages where nothing had even begun to translate the Bible for them. And I was astonished because this area was like this big. But then this area was like bigger. And then this area was even bigger. And the last one was bigger than all the other three. And it was just like, why? Where are we at on that? Well, some of the things we realize is is not every language is written. There are languages that exist in the world today that have no written capability on them yet. So most of what is translated back and forth is done through verbal conversation. Quick note, in 2017, Wycliffe gave out these facts. There are 670 complete Bibles, start to finish. Over 1,500 New Testaments. So that's not quite twice that of the New Testament alone. And another 1,100 more portions or stories of the Bible. So that gives us 3,300 plus languages with some sort of scripture. But guess what? There's 7,000 living languages plus. Is there a disparagement there? Yes. What it means is that there's a possibility of close to 1.5 billion people without the full Bible in their language. Now, I want to tell you, our, our call is not to Bible translation. We're not moving to, to go to Wycliffe and begin Bible translation. That's not what we're called to. But what I do sense God's calling for us is to share the gospel, the invitation to righteousness. An exhibit here reminded me of that, that there are still 3 billion people in the world that don't know Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the last verse, 15. Just as it is written, the last half of that, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Here Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things to emphasize the importance of sending of the preachers and also moving into an explicit focus on the gospel. In your Sunday school class today, for those of you that attended this very action of being missional with God's word, is right here now, to share God's message of salvation because he will save everyone who calls on his name. It's important to understand in biblical times that they didn't have text messages, email, phones, So how was a message sent? Anybody know? By messenger. Yes, by foot. Hmm, kind of talked about feet earlier, didn't we? So in order to relay a message, messengers were sent. Many times these messengers would travel for miles to get the message to their hearers. For instance, in Job's case, a messenger brought the word to Job that his family had been killed. Can you imagine what people and communities would be thinking when the word got out? A messenger was bringing them a word? Their hearts might be pounding. What's going on? Is it tragic? Is it good? And when the news of good news came, of course the messenger was like the most popular person around. For those of you that had a chance to either grow up with or be influenced in any way, shape, or form by VeggieTales... Jonah, what's the word? You know, a message from the Lord. You know, it was that idea of him coming with God's message. He was a messenger as well as a prophet. So, people might love or hate that messenger. But oftentimes when the messenger came, they would say, this messenger's feet are beautiful. The word beautiful here actually means in time or timely. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I needed that message today. That was timely. I needed to hear that. Maybe it was somebody that was ill and somebody came in and said, we need to pray for this and we need to praise God because they're healed. That's a timely message. Guess what? You could tell that person they got beautiful feet. That's the question I ask you today. When's the last time someone said to you how beautiful are your feet? What are you doing to bring the good news to the people around you in your daily life? Are you willing to be prepared as possible to be an effective witness? Will you be the one who proclaims the good news of this invitation to righteousness that only comes from God so that others might hear? We want you to understand and hear that today. And with that, I'm going to transition before I close in prayer. Because I want you to know a little bit about why I'm even here today and how that looks. What happened and why we came to this point of going to Apex actually started at Challenge. Something that Pastor Matt and I had a chance to talk about last night and just be really encouraging about what, what goes on at Challenge for our students. Here is Live Sent Challenge. This was actually, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the, the message of 2016 in Louisville, Kentucky. And while we were here, our students were hearing about God calling them to live on mission. And guess what? We were suddenly going, what's going on? We're feeling this call too. This is kind of a neat thing right here. This is just outside of the conference center. And there's a gentleman that's sitting there. You can see him just to the left of me. It's not real easy to see, but... He just stopped on the street and went, what are you guys talking about? And we're talking about how God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all part of guiding us and leading us and understanding on how we are to live on mission for him. And, and he started breaking down this very thing, and he wasn't even in the conference. He was just walking on the street. I guess we could have said, man, your feet are beautiful. Amen? Probably could have. It was really neat to, to, to see this. So with that, here's a friend of ours, Shane Stacy, and his wife Heather. This is in Minnesota. We started looking at possibilities of where we could go because we really felt like we were being stirred. And it was because of Shane and what they did at Challenge. We were like, Shane, help us understand this. And we're like, what is Apex about? We need to know more about this Apex. And as we started talking about it, guess what? We really felt like God was calling us to that. So that journey is what led us to Apex. But the question really relies on why. And what is this Apex thing anyway? Well, first of all, for those of you that like acronyms and acrostics, and, 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 and maybe your pastor likes to, to do this. I know I like to do it. Maybe it's a pastor thing that we put letters in order, and it's like, hey, I got four in a row. Those are all, they're all the same letter as they start. Apex is not an acronym, okay? That doesn't stand for anything. Those of you that are engineer types, don't try and engineer it into some word, okay? Apex actually talks about the apex of a mountain, the top of the ladder, the place where you often, in this culture and throughout the world, are constantly being said, "What's next? What's the next rung on the ladder? How do I get higher? How do I become better?" And we're saying that's not God's economy. That's not what God says. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. He says it's 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 the the one that humbles himself. So that's why we use apex to say, "Let's show you about servant leadership." Here is the point. A major issue we see facing the church is the loss of young people and young leaders. The average age of a senior pastor is 55. And when we look at the landscape of our churches, we see people are going away, passing away, and not staying in the church. And when the young leaders leave, we begin to say to ourselves, what can be done about this when we see them go away like this? Well, here's the thing. For seven years, we've been serving in Christ's community. These are pictures of us doing things with students. But guess what? We're asking the same question. Are they the next leaders? Don't just, I don't want to just take you on a winter blast trip down to Millersburg and have a great time in the snow, even though I really like that. I want you to know Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to know Jesus Christ because Pastor Peter said so. I want you to know him. You know him. Because what happens is they're going to go to college, and they're going to go to the rest of the world. They're going to be like, huh? And they're not going to follow. And so we're asking the same question. Where are the next leaders? And so with that, we look at Apex as the way to go. And I want you to watch this video for just a moment and see what it's about.
2: There are a lot of students today who are just wrestling with what am I supposed to do with my life. We just
1: have
3: a lot of students coming through youth ministries and student ministries who are leaving the church once they get off to college and going out into the world. Our generation especially wants to act. We want to do something. We want to be involved.
2: They know that there's a greater reason for which they were made for, and yet they're searching for what is that, and we want to help them find
0: it. They're still... Three billion people in the world who today cannot know Jesus Christ. Cannot. I think we're really desperate for the next generation of leaders.
3: In the world's view, to be a leader is to be successful. It's to be in a position where you have
2: power. Bigger personalities, more possessions, bigger platforms, more talents. Those are the people who are important, that are lifted up in leadership. What Jesus sets in place is that it's just the opposite
3: it really causes you to go against human nature we naturally want to you know build ourselves up and climb ladders
2: and that's what is so beautiful about the gospel is that anybody has the opportunity to be an influence for the sake of the kingdom empowered by the spirit you
0: don't learn to lead until you learn to follow. It's not lording leadership, it's servant leadership.
2: It's with a willingness and a selflessness to say, God, it's not going to be about my name and my fame, but it's going to be about yours. As I humble myself as a servant, God lifts me up and uses me for the greatest work in the world. Apex is providing a training context rather than a classroom it literally is the city that is becoming the training ground.
3: There's something about students living and serving in unfamiliar and uncomfortable places that requires them to just go deeper with God. Give them experiences where they can sort of start this journey of prayer and mercy and justice as a lifestyle. People can
2: discover and learn
3: and try. As they're doing that, it's not just building them up. They're going and they're serving and you know, it's relationships. They're learning from other people. They're learning about themselves, they're learning about who God is.
2: Apex is for those that are tired of merely being consumers of the Christian faith. They're tired of sitting in a the pew. They've heard it. They've sang it. They've played it. We want to create a pipeline for middle school, high school, college students, post-grads, where they're continuing to take next steps in their walk with Christ and next steps in what God would have them do and give an alternative to the world that says, just serve yourself. They want to be genuine gospel influencers in this world. They want to take the one life that they're living and play their part in God's eternal story.
3: The goal of Apex is to develop students as leaders who seek to live with Jesus and for Jesus in all aspects of life.
1: It is our desire to see this new pipeline that the EFCA has as an opportunity, a training ground for the next pastors, church planters missionaries across all denominations. And so what you see here is something that we came up with personally. We feel we are sent to send. Sent out so that we can send others to do the mission that is being called upon every Christian. We believe that in our hearts because we're stirred for the next generation, passionate about what they are and how they're doing to take next steps. And so where do we begin now? Well, here's where we begin we have been asked uh, to look at the Eastern District, and particularly that 95 corridor that runs from Washington, D.C., through the city of Baltimore, up through Philadelphia, and into New York City. Because those are four cities very closely aligned with each other in, in a line there that are opportunities for the gospel to go into the cities and do the very thing that we saw in the video, give students an opportunity to grow, to learn, to pray, to learn about impartial justice, to be gospel influencers. And that's what we want to do. And so Deb and I will be city team leaders in the eastern United States who will cultivate relationships, develop systems, do logistics, all required for the Apex Pipeline to be successful in Baltimore and D.C. That means that these are the bottom lines. These are our core values, that we want to see them come with gospel fluency and celebrate, speak, and apply that gospel in all of their life. We want the students to come with bold curiosity To come as learners. To have impartial justice, which is important. To be able to fight for the least, the last, the lost, and the left out. And finally, to have missional relationships. And to realize that we're no greater than the sum of our team and our partnerships. And so, we're at that point saying, here's some places where our students can go right here in the United States. Your students, as a youth group could go to Baltimore or Washington DC or Detroit or Kansas City or LA and your students will be in Kansas City not necessarily for a Apex week but for challenge seeing what's going on in the city of Kansas City. Those are places where five uh, five locations where youth groups can go. Last year 265 students went on Apex missions. But we also don't stop there because all over the world there's opportunities for post-grad students to be involved as well. In these urban communities and throughout the world, lives are going to be impacted by the service and compassion of young men and women who in turn are going to see their faith deepen and understanding their hearts stirred to serve God for the rest of their lives. And that doesn't mean they have to serve God as a missionary or a pastor or, or, or it may be in the business world. But, but boldly saying, I'm a Christian and I'm okay with that. And I'm, I'm good with that. And so we want to invite you for an opportunity to help mobilize the next generation and be part of this. Just briefly, and I don't like to show this, but it's just part of who we are when we go on missions. There are expenses. There are ways in which we have to, we we can't go unless we have support. so we're kind of at around like an 11% place right now in our monthly support that goes from everything from mission expenses to, to taking care of us medically and things of that nature. But this isn't what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on what we're doing to mobilize the next generation for Christ. And so with that, would you pray with us? Let me close right now in prayer for us as we close up what we've heard and what we've seen God do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and care for us. In that before we even knew we needed you, you sent someone with beautiful feet to carry the message of your love. Lord, we pray for each person in here that you may speak to them and share where you would like them to share your beautiful message. Lord, we love you, and we are glad that you love us so much that you gave your life for us, and we are so humbled, Jesus. This morning, as we heard the questions, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe unless they have heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Lord, we raise our hand and say, I am willing to go. When you call, we will say yes. Yes to moving to another place if that's what you want. Yes to staying put and be beautiful feet to our grandchildren, to our children, to our family, to our neighbor. Yes to serving in our community. Whatever the call is, we say yes. Let us keep our eyes on you, Lord. We desire to do that and to always serve others before ourselves. In the name, above all names, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.